number one. And this is what he says. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just we do thank you for the opportunity that we have to open up your word and to study it and to see what you're saying to us, Lord. I just pray that you would um, just give me grace, Lord, tonight, that it would uh, the message, your message would be clear, Lord, and we could understand your word. And that we could leave here changed because of your word, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Have you ever played a game with someone who changed the rules in the middle of the game? If, we've, if I look, look back at my childhood, which was not so long ago. Seems like a long time ago, but not so long ago. And there are multiple times where I can think of either I changed the rules or one of my older siblings changed the rules If you've been around kids playing games, there is always someone who, because they are losing, is going to try to change the rules so they can win. I distinctly remember playing Monopoly as about a 10-year-old, 9-year-old. See, other kids had video games. We had Monopoly, Risk, which was great. It was good for us. But um, I remembered my strategy. How many have played Monopoly? Most of us have played Monopoly. There was the little blue ones on the front side that were cheap, and you could put hotels on the whole thing your first turn. So that's what I would do every time. I would, tr- I would do my best. I would do everything I could so I could get that piece of property. And the first turn, I would put hotels on it. Well, my older brother Peter saw I had a stack of the $500 bills like this big. And if he knew, he knew if I got any other property that I would instantly put hotels on it. So he came up with this strategy. We'll all pitch in and help somebody else. So then we have interest in that land, in that property. So when Andrew bankrupts them, we all get the property. Andrew doesn't get it. And I was like, this isn't the way Monopoly is supposed to work in my little nine-year-old mind. I was furious. And so me and my other younger siblings came up with a great idea where we would change the rules to get the better of Peter. So what we did was, as soon as the game started, we said, hey, I'm joining with this person. Us three are becoming one team. We'd wait till all the land was divided, all the money, everybody had their own money, and then we say, we're all one team. And so rather than one team having, I think in the game it's $1,500 and so many pieces of property, if three people now was... $4,500, and we went down to one piece. So it was, it was really good for beating Peter. Peter could not beat us when we did something like that. And while it is very humorous to think about a kid's game and how we would change the rules and do different things so we could get it to our advantage, it is not so humorous when you have people trying to change the rules about how you serve God. Or change the rules about how God has ordained salvation. And that's what you had in the book of Colossae. You had 
some people, some, you come through all through the book of Acts, you see this. You had people, Judaizers, who were coming in and say, hey, if you're really going to be spiritual or if you're really going to serve God, you still got to keep the law. They were coming in and they were beginning to change what Paul and the other apostles had already taught them. And this was not funny. Souls were at stake in this. And Paul, as I said earlier, <coughs> excuse me, had not started the church at Colossae. Men from the church he had started at Ephesus most likely had gone and started the church. And Paul was imprisoned at this time. And he was hearing of the false doctrine that was beginning to seep into the church at the church there in Colossae with the Colossian believers. Up to this time, the church had had a testimony. They were growing in faith. Their love was abounding. I'm just going to kind of go through chapter 1 and chapter 2 and kind of a summary. So if you pay attention, it's leading up to where Paul is going in chapter 3. So we all have to stay on board if we're going to get to the full emphasis of what Paul is trying to say here. Is they've been living for God. They've been growing for God. And Paul is writing this letter. He's saying, I want you to continue to grow. He says, I want you, he desired them to be filled with spiritual knowledge and understanding. In verse number 10 of chapter 1, he says, I want you to walk worthy of the Lord. Paul's saying, you've begun in this path. I want you to continue in this path. You've begun serving the Lord. I want you to continue serving the Lord. I want you to continue. I want you to be fruitful in every good work. You started here, but there's some place you need to keep on going. If you're going to continue to serve God, you're supposed to be moving forward and growing. But false doctrine had begun to come into this church. The teaching that began to make little of Jesus Christ. Teaching that began to make little of what Jesus Christ had done on the cross. They begin to add, you know, you, well, if you're really going to serve God... If you're really going to be right with God, you see all these, the law, the Old Testament law, you've got to keep all those things. If you're really, if you're going to be a real Christian, all these holy days and these certain meats that you can't eat and you can eat. And, oh, how about um, the worship of angels? And they, they begin, what was happening was there was the Greek philosophy coming in. There was the Judaizers coming in. And they were beginning to change. They were trying to change the I might say the rules, going back to that illustration, but they were trying to change what the Colossi believers had been taught. They were changing it. They were beginning to mix the false doctrines of the world into what the believers did. And Paul's writing them and saying, hey, twice in chapter 2 he says, beware, you know, basically keep your eyes open. Because there's doctrines people are teaching that want to confuse you. And Paul is desiring, as he's writing to these believers in cult, he wants them to have a full assurance of understanding. That's what it says in chapter 2, verse number 2. This is why he's writing. He says, That their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father, and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul's writing to them and saying, listen, 
he, he goes back in chapter 1, and he's reminding them about who Christ is. He begins talking about creation, and how everything was created through Christ. And what he is doing, some of the most beautiful verses in Scripture talking about the deity of Christ and the power of Christ are found in the book of Colossians here. And the reason why is Paul is addressing the false doctrines. He's saying, listen, they're saying little about Christ. No, Christ was from the beginning. He was part, not part of the creation, he was part of the creation process as he was with God creating the world. It's in verse, in chapter number one, it says, all things are created by him and for him and through everything. And he's building up who Christ really is. Because the Colossian believers must understand that. And then he talks about in um, verse number 20, and having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him I say, whether they be things in the earth or in things in heaven, and you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. He's going back and saying, not only is Christ the one who created this world, he, everything goes back to Christ, but Christ is the one who through His death on the cross has made the way for salvation. It is because of Christ that you can be saved. And He is emphasizing this and emphasizing this. And then in chapter 2, it begins to go on and say, not only did Christ create everything, not only is it through Him you are saved, but verse number 3, in whom, talking about Christ, are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul is taking the point of the fullness of Christ and how great God is. And he is just building on that. And he is laying it out and laying a framework and saying, he's everything. Everything, all the wisdom and knowledge is hid in Christ. Everything you need is in Christ. And he's beginning to just build this and build this. And, and he's spending time and effort and energy trying to communicate this to the Corinthian believers. And the reason why he's doing it, why it's so important, is let's look in verse number Verse number four, and this I say, why is he saying this? And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. Also look in verse number eight. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. See, Paul is worried about the Corinthian, or excuse me, Colossian believers here. He's trying to say, I am telling you about Christ and I'm reminding you about who Christ is. Because there's people coming who want to deceive you. There's people coming who are going to bring enticing words. They were going to bring plausible arguments. They're going to say, well, you know, in the Old Testament, they had to keep this and this and this and this. So why aren't you doing that now? Because if you're really going to serve Christ, you've got to keep the whole Bible, right? And they were beginning to put plausible, enticing, good-sounding, reasonable, according to man's reasoning, not the Christ, that's what the Bible said, arguments together and saying, 
well, you need to do this too. Or, you know, you really need to um, not eat this meat. If you're really going to be spiritual, spiritual people don't, don't eat pork. I like bacon. Amen. But anyways, they were, they were saying, you can't do this. And they were putting together very sound, earthly reasons for how they were to serve Christ. And Paul's saying, listen, beware, pay attention, look at what is going on here. Because lest any man should beguile you, trick you. That's the same word that is used of the serpent. When I talked to Eve in the garden, the serpent beguiled. That's, that's not what Paul wanted for the Corinthian believers. He's saying, I'm reminding you of who Christ is. I'm reminding you of the power that is in Christ. What Christ has done in your lives. Who God is. Because there's people coming against you and saying, well, how about this? Well, how about this? You really need to think about, you know, doing these certain um, practices so you can make yourself pleasing to God. It, this isn't talking about living a holy life. This isn't talking about honoring God with daily decisions. This is talking about you must do this or that affects your standing with God. You must do these certain things if you're going to be considered one of God's children. And he's writing to warn them. These teachings are not after Christ. And they're dangerous because Paul is saying it's taking your eyes off Christ. In verse, in verse number 9 and 10, let's read it. Or verse, let's start in verse number 8. Beware lest any man spoil you. Means to capture you. Take you captive. Through philosophy and vain deceit. After the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in Him, that is in Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye are complete in Him, which is the head of all principality and power. He's saying, listen, in Christ is everything you need. In Christ is all the fullness of the Godhead dwelt. Christians, you are complete in Christ. And then it begins to go on. Christ has removed the penalty of sin. Look at verse number 14. It says, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross, having spoiled principalities and powers. He made a show of them openly, triumphing over them. Paul's saying, if you are saved, you are complete in Christ. In Christ is everything that is God is in Him bodily. And not only that, He has taken the handwriting of the ordinance. He's taken the things that the law has against you. Because we are all guilty by the law. We are all condemned sinners if we match up to the law. But according to the Bible, Christ has taken that... And if you are saved, He took that and He nailed it to His cross. No more to be met by us. We don't have to deal with that anymore because Christ took care of it. He has spoiled the world's powers and the world's philosophies. Paul's doing almost a play on words because you go back to verse number 4. 
I mean, verse number 8, he says, Beware lest any man take you captive, spoil you. And he's saying, Don't let the world spoil you, because Christ has already done that to the world. Christ has already taken the world captive. Christ has already defeated the thinking of this world. Christ has already conquered this world. There's no reason to let it conquer you. There's no reason to, that thinking of the world should not come into your life because Christ has already wiped that away. And he is, Paul's heading somewhere here. He's trying, he's leading up to something. He's saying, Christ is the Creator of the world. He paid the price for our salvation. It's who we preach. In Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. You are complete in Him. And He's just building on this and building on this and building on this because He's trying to drive home to these believers something very, very important. Get to chapter number 3. Paul says, If ye then be risen with Christ. Let's just stop there for a second. He says, If ye then be risen in Christ. Now, Paul's writing to believers, right? He says to the saints at the church at, in the church at Colossae, and he's writing to believers and saying, This is who Christ is. And he's reminding believers, people who are saved, of this fact. And he's building up and showing them what they truly have in salvation. And then he says, If ye then be risen in Christ, if you are truly saved, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. If you have Jesus Christ living inside you, if you have the life of Christ in you, Seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Where Christ, Christ is in heaven. He is sitting on the right hand of God with power. He is no longer seen as just the man rejected. He has now been glorified and is in heaven. And if ye then be risen in Christ, if you go back and begin to look through Colossians and the book of Ephesians as well, or um, books written at the very similar time, have very similar language with it, and talks about how before you were saved, you were dead in trespasses and sin, wherein in time past, Ephesians chapter 2, ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation, we all lived in time past, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, among whom we all had our conversation. But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us. And he, he be, Paul begins to go through in Ephesians chapter 2 saying, before you were saved, you were dead in your trespasses and sin, like the rest of the world. But when you are saved, you had, God has quickened you. He's made you alive. You are risen together with Christ. That's what Paul's saying here. You are alive with Christ. And if you are, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Verse number two. Set your affection on things above. This is talking about your mind. What you're thinking about. What you're longing for. Set that on things above. 
and not on things of the things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then ye also shall appear with him in glory. What he's talking about, he's saying, if you, Paul contrasts this often, if you are spiritually dead, you are physically alive. But if you are spiritually alive, you are dead to the things of this world. There's a difference. There's a complete contrast between that. If you are alive in Christ, you are dead to the things of this world. But if you are alive in this world, you are dead spiritually. But if you have been saved, you are now alive in Christ. That means you are dead to the things of this world. And, says and the Bible says your life is hid in Christ. I was doing some word studies on that word hid. And it has the idea of put a shield over, of hidden, of protected from the things of this world. I remember my first time going to teen camp. They had a paintball tournament. And I was so excited. I'm like, I want to play paintball. Well, I got, I got up there and I started running around like a chicken with my head cut off. And I got behind one of those wood barriers. And I got down. How many have ever been shot at with a paintball? Brother Franz, a couple of us. It's scary. Because you can see it coming. And then you see it over your head before you see it. And so I'm hunkered down behind this wood barrier. And these things are... Knock, and I'm like, I don't want to move. I don't want to get hit. And that's the closest thing as I was thinking about that I could think of a shield. I was hunkered down behind this thing. And I was hearing these projectiles coming at me that I didn't want to get hit by. But so long as I was behind that thing, I was safe, at least till they ran around and shot me. But we never have to worry about that with Christ. When we are in Christ, we are hidden in Christ. We don't have to worry about the accusations of the devil. We don't have to worry about our sin coming back and... Um, Coming against us because Christ has paid for it all. We are hid in Christ. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then ye shall also appear with Him in glory. He says, you're, you're waiting now. But when Christ comes again, you're going to be raised up with Him in glory. And He's building and building. And this is what He's built up to. He's saying, because you are complete in Christ, because of how great Christ is, if you are truly risen in Christ, set your affection on things that are above. He's telling them, someone who is alive in Christ should seek only those things which are above. That's what he's saying. Someone who is alive in Christ, someone who is truly saved, should only seek those things which are above. Why? Because if you are truly saved, you are no longer subject, you are no longer under the rule of the things of this world, but you are complete in the fullness of Christ. If you are saved, you are no longer under the bondage of this world. Look at um, ch chapter number 2. Verse number 20, wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments, that's talking about the control, the basic things of this world, why 
as though living in the world, are ye subject to ordinances. Touch not, taste not, handle not, which all are to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men. He's saying, you are no longer subject to the thinking. You are no longer judged by the rules of this world. You are with Christ. You are complete in the fullness of Christ. He's saying, Christ is all you need. Someone who is alive in Christ is no longer under the rule of this world, but is complete in Christ. We do not need man's philosophies. We do not need man's arguments to understand how we are to serve Christ. Because everything we need is in Christ. He is the Creator. He is the One who saved us. In Him dwelt the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and we are complete in Him. So Paul is talking to these, writing to these believers and saying, why then is the vain deceits of this world, why then is the arguments and the philosophies of this world being brought in? Beware, pay attention, lest it spoil you, lest it remove the things you have, not your salvation, but it can remove the joy that you have. It can remove the wonderful blessings that God wants to bring into your life when, the thing, when you allow the vain deceits of this world, they want to spoil you and remove that from you. But everything we need is in Christ. Our salvation is not dependent upon what we do. I don't have to keep my standing with God. If I am saved today, it isn't up to me to keep myself saved. It isn't up to me to make sure God is pleased with me. Now, yes, and if you read the rest of chapter 3, it is very detailed about living a holy, godly life. But what Paul's saying is, your standing with God is not dependent upon what you do because you are complete in God. And rather, when you are complete in God, set your affections on the things above. Someone who is truly alive in Christ, their total mind should be set on heavenly things. Because we are no longer subject to the things of this world, but we are complete in the fullness of Christ. So, and then he begins to go on and say, Therefore, because you are complete in Christ, you shouldn't live the way you used to live. Because you are complete in Christ, your life should resemble that of Christ. But all the understanding, power, and forgiveness you need is found in the person of Christ. In other words, Christ is all you and I need. But so often, we begin to allow worldly thinking. Paul's writing to save people here. He's saying, And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. There's always going to be people out there who are going to say something that just isn't exactly right. He's going to say something, it's going to sound almost right. And they're going to want to take your thinking, and here's how you can know. Your thinking comes down to the things of this earth, and you begin considering, well, what must I, you know, 
and you begin considering, how do I need to, you know, maybe I need to start doing this so God really can use me or whatever. Or love me. Or whatever you want to put in there. And your thinking comes here. But if you are truly saved, Paul says, someone who is saved, their mind and their affections, what they are thinking about, they are commanded to seek those things which are above. Seek and set your affections. Seek those things which are above and set your affection on things above. Both of those are imperatives. Both of those are in the verb tense. It's continuously acting. You're supposed to do this and keep on doing it. You're supposed to seek those things which are above and keep on seeking. It's a command. Keep on seeking. Set your affection. Keep on setting your affections. It's something that we have to do every single day, sometimes multiple times a day. It's constantly remind ourselves, wait a second, if I am risen in Christ, everything I need is in Christ. I no longer am subject to the things of this world. I don't have to do the things I used to do, nor do I have to follow the man's philosophy of I have to do certain things to please God. Christ has already done everything. We are complete in Him. So there's two questions. First one would obviously be, are you alive in Christ? If, are you saved? If you're not saved then none of this really applies. Because Paul is writing to people who are alive in Christ. And you can be alive in Christ. Christ has paid, he's saying, in this text, Christ has paid everything. He's taking care of your sins. If you will only trust in Him and believe in Him, you can be alive in Christ. You can be risen in Christ. You can have the life of Christ living inside you. Are you saved tonight? And if you are, There's one more question for you. Are your affections solely, is your mind, is your thinking solely on things above? Are you allowing the arguments of this world to sway you? To think you need something more than Christ has already given you? Well, I know I have the Bible, but I really need this book to make the Bible clear. No. God has given us everything we need in His Word. We don't need some other book and some other man to teach us how to follow God. Christ is complete. Everything we need is in Christ. We just need to set our affection on things above. Are you looking to what you do to bring yourself, well, you know, I have to do this and this and this and this. You know, if, if I don't tithe, God really doesn't love me. Now, we are commanded to tithe. We are. But God, if God has saved you, your salvation is not dependent on the fact that you tithe. Your salvation, and that's what he's writing, because people were coming in and telling these believers, you know, you have to do this and this and this if you're truly going to be spiritual. If you're truly, if you're going to reach a second level of Christianity. Can I tell you, there is no such thing as a second level of Christianity. There isn't a higher second blessing. Everything you need is in Christ. There isn't something you run yourself up and get up to a higher. Now, can you be closer to God than you are right now? Yes. But it isn't some elite status that some, some people rate. You, people start talking about elite status or that idea. Know that that type of teaching is coming from men. 
not coming from God. So are you alive in Christ? Are your affections solely set on things above? Setting our mind on the things of this world rather than on heavenly things, when we begin to do that, when we see ourselves beginning to shift our thought process, our, what we're thinking, what we're going for, what we're moving towards, to the things of this world rather than to the things above, it's because we are doubting the sufficiency of Christ. We are beginning to say, well, you know, I just have to do this if I'm going to do this. No, Paul's saying, take your attention, focus it on the things above. You, if you are risen in Christ, that's where your attention, that's where your focus must be. Because all the understanding and power and forgiveness you need is found in the person of Christ. Most everyone in here would agree with me. Christ is all we need. We would say that. We would say amen to that. Christ is all we need. But when we allow the thinking of this world, we live in New York City. There's great amounts of thinking here. There's great philosophies of life are often born in New York City. And it's very, very prevalent here. And it can begin to turn our minds away from God. And we can begin to seek other things. But remember, everything we need is in Christ. That's what we must truly seek. Because Christ is all we need. We don't need man's philosophy. We're no longer subject to those. We're no longer under the teaching of this world. We are dead and hid in Christ. Christ is all we need. So if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life shall appear, then shall ye also appear with Him in glory. Are ye alive in Christ? Are ye seeking those things which are above? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you for today and I thank you for the opportunity to open your word. I just pray that it would have been clear and that you would speak to hearts tonight, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. And just take a moment before we finish that prayer. If you need to come forward and pray or pray in your seats, just take a moment.